Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the anti-pipeline protests and blockades continue. I want to say that we are strong regardless of the decision about the injunction, and we will be here over and over again, continually in the streets. We are not going to be bullied by injunctions. Conservative leadership candidate Aaron O'Toole says he will stick to the right. O'Toole came out the blocks pretty quickly on these blockades and they're illegal and that uh, while people have the right to protest, they also have a responsibility not to stop other people earning a living. And support from Senegal in Canada's bid for a seat on the UN Security Council. Canada is already deeply engaged in multilateral fora on advancing priorities that we have peace and security, economic opportunity, and countering the impacts of climate change. Being on the Security Council is a further way of us to have an either greater impact in standing up for, uh, for the principles we believe in and being a voice for allies and friends and people who share the same values and concerns that we have. It's Thursday, February 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Good morning, Mark. What do you make of this blockade? And now Via Rail, of course, has shut down service between Toronto and Ottawa, between Toronto and Montreal. Uh, there are there were protesters in the streets of downtown Ottawa yesterday as well. Where do you think this is leading? Well, I think it's pretty concerning, and I, and I also don't think this is uh, this is the end of it. I mean, this is I think a warm up for for TMX, which is which is going to be coming when it's when construction starts going through disputed lands and that's going to be even more uh, disruptive and, and controversial and divisive I guess um, you know I think that it's a warning for our political leaders they have to have a better response than they've had so far it's been pretty supine as far as the reaction from from um, from elected politicians Mark Garneau the minister was out transport minister was out yesterday or the, the day before yesterday, saying, you know, essentially wringing his hands and saying, yes, the blockade of the rail line is illegal under the Railway Safety Act, but it's a provincial matter. They're going to have to deal with it, not the federal government. Uh, Justin Trudeau's abroad, chasing a, a UN Security Council seat. He said, well, the people have got to get around the table and have dialogue. Uh, you know, the provincial reaction was not much better. Although John Horgan did come out yesterday, the premier of British Columbia, and say that he had deliberately not come out the day before when the British Columbia, when the BC legislature was was blockaded, because he was uh, I think he was too head up and he didn't want to say anything ill considered. But but he did come out and say that you know these are extraordinary times, extraordinary events, and uh, it is the rule of law has to prevail here, and I think that's where we are. I mean at the moment the politicians are being swept away by these protests and they haven't come up with an adequate response yet. And what do you make of the dynamics around that? Because, uh, of course, there is a belief that the rule of law has to prevail and that you, you can't let disruption uh, dictate uh, anything. But at the same time, there has been a history in this country of allowing these blockades to, to continue until there's some type of resolution. So uh, how do you bring this to an end peacefully? Well, it, obviously, nobody wants an, an Oka crisis all over again. Um, and there has to be a degree of patience shown on, on all sides. Uh, and obviously the federal government can't order provincial police forces to, to wade in and, and uh, break these things up. But I do think that, that um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation flo- floating around. Uh, 
the rule of law has to prevail, otherwise you have anarchy. And it seems like a good number of the protesters are out there do want anarchy because they're anarchists. You know, I, I was looking at a U.S. website called "It's Going Down," where it act, it calls on its followers to shut down the ability of the capitalist civilization to function. And it's actually been promoting a campaign to hashtag shut down Canada. You know, there are other eco warriors, rising tide Toronto, and others who are who are calling on their activists to to basically grind Canada to a halt. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what's going on here. We've got to come back to the to the case of the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline, which the protesters claim is the RCMP breaking up this these blockades in British Columbia are invading sovereign indigenous territory, in their view. Well, in the, in the eyes of the law, indigenous territory is not sovereign. Canadian law does not recognize um, this Wet'suwet'en land as sovereign. The Wet'suwet'en have not established title or ownership over their traditional lands in Canadian courts or through negotiations. While they may have a very strong case to take to the, to the Supreme Court of Canada, they have not done so yet. So the hereditary chiefs who are saying because this land was unceded, it is therefore, um, it cannot be given up to for development, are wrong in Canadian law. And the problem is that many of these protesters don't really care about Canadian law. And what do you think about how this is going to play out long term, though? Because obviously this speaks to the level of opposition there is to pipelines and resource development. Um, uh, this is a conflict that this government has had to be aware of for some time. Uh, how uh, there are people who are saying they're not going to stop uh, until they've prevented the pipelines from going ahead. So are we headed to some type of stalemate or standoff here? Well, I think we are if we keep going down the current road. But, I mean, the, ironically, Judy Wilson-Raybould, the former Justice Minister, had views on this that they, I think the government should have adopted. I mean, we've got this ridiculous situation where the hereditary chiefs in Wet'suwet'en land uh, don't want this pipeline to go ahead, but the, the five elected bands, the five elected chiefs, do want it to go ahead. And they cover the same area of ground. So, ultimately, her point of view was that we need a new governance structure that comes out from under the Indian Act. And I think that, that that clearly has to be something that indigenous people themselves sort out. But it seems to be a retrograde move that the hereditary chiefs, you know, they, they descend down the matriarchal line from since contact, uh, you know, it's some kind of feudal genealogy, that they should take precedent over the people who, are, who have been democratically elected by band members. At some point, there needs to be some kind of democratic process that amalgamates these two groups, some kind of plebiscite where indigenous people themselves come up with their own governance structure. And then at least there is a there are people who speak on behalf of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation, because at the moment there are varying groups who do this. I think that at least at that point, you can get some kind of consensus on the ground, and then you can deal with it. You can negotiate with it. At the moment, it's impossible to negotiate. It's like trying to nail blamons to a wall. You cannot find out who you're meant to be talking to. And I think that's that's part of the problem. You know, I think when the, the proponent of this project signed up all these indigenous uh, band chiefs along the route, they thought they'd done their work. Clearly, they have not. And 
you know, these are not things that happen overnight, but we have to start getting there. There has to be reform. We can't keep doing the things we've been doing up until now that have not been working. All right, let's touch briefly on a couple of other topics, John. Uh, the Conservative leadership race, uh, there is apparently a team that is building that is putting uh, more pressure on John Baird to make a decision, and, and they want him to run, obviously. Meanwhile, Aaron O'Toole, who's in the race, is saying that he won't take the Conservative Party to the centre, so he clearly continues to portray himself as the as the true Conservative, the right-wing Conservative in this race so far. Right. Well, as far as Baird is concerned, I mean, he, he had a ready-made team around him because he was the chair of uh, Pierre Poilievre's bid that was uh, that was called off, but the team was still intact. So I would suspect that, uh, that Jenny Byrne, uh, who was Stephen Harper's former campaign manager, uh, would manage this campaign if Baird goes ahead. I'm skeptical that he'll go ahead. I think he's he's doing too well in the private sector. He doesn't particularly want the media uh, scrutinising his life, his opinions. Uh, I think he will eventually take a pass. He's probably quite flattered that there's there's so much attention. If he did come in, he would transform the race, though. As you point out, Aaron O'Toole is, is portraying himself as this true blue candidate. I don't think it fits particularly well with the person that he, he was and is. But the the more progressive conservative, red Tory, whatever you want to call it, ground is, is pretty much taken up by Peter McKay. So, so O'Toole has to be something different. And, um, you know, it, it's, it makes sense strategically to pull to the right of Peter McKay. But um, I'm not so sure it's a convincing transformation on O'Toole's part. I would say this, though, that his campaign has been far slicker and uh, more authentic than, than uh, McKay's. I think he's had a pretty awful launch. He may end up being the Joe Biden of this race. that He mm. comes in as a favorite and, uh, and ends up further back because mm. um, he's not been very fleet-footed so far. O'Toole has, and I think, you know, for example, O'Toole came out the, the blocks pretty quickly on these blockades, saying they're illegal and that that uh, while people have the right to protest, they also have the responsibility not to to uh, to stop other people earning a living. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's still all to play for, but it, at the moment it's only two people. If Baird came in, uh, he would take up an awful lot of space, and I think uh, he would... Uh, Maybe crowd out Aaron O'Toole. And just quickly, John, on the uh, on the Prime Minister's travels that you alluded to earlier, his bid for a seat on the UN Security Council and to get support for that, uh, Senegal apparently is on board. Uh, what happens next? Well, Senegal certainly on board. The thing takes place in uh, it's a, a blind poll. Nobody knows how people voted. So, uh, sure, you know, Trudeau has. We came to the game late on this UN Security Council. There were already three players in place at the time. There was Ireland, Norway, and at the time, San Marino for, for two spots. San Marino ducked out, but there are still three countries for two spots. The uh, the Irish, I was just talking to the Irish ambassador, he said they've been doing this, been on this trail for 15 years. Mm. They've signed up an awful lot of countries. They spend more per capita or uh, percentage-wise on of GDP on aid. They have more peacekeepers. They arguably have a better case than Canada. Uh, I think Canada is going to come up short here. We're going to spend an awful lot of money trying to convince countries in Africa and elsewhere to vote for Canada. We're never going to know whether they actually voted for us. And this idea that Canada's back, which was a kind of strategic 
decision. They, they thought the UN Security Council would be a symbolic gest- uh, right. manifestation of this Canada's back strategy. Um, if they don't win it, it's going to be egg on a lot of faces. Mm. All right, John, I appreciate your comments today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. I want to say that we are strong regardless of the decision about the injunction, and we will be here over and over again, continually in the streets. We are not going to be bullied by injunctions. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Edmonton Journal, David Staples argues chaos has come to Canada and it could quickly get much worse. Staples writes, If the Prime Minister does not make the right moves in the next month, it won't only be activists blockading roads, railways, and legislature buildings. It will be the people of Alberta rising up against Ottawa like never before. It now looks like only mass arrests and charges will work. But will Justin Trudeau support his own authorities in cracking down? If he fails, expect to see more illegal and increasingly confrontational protests to stop the TMX pipeline. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues John Horgan's government faces its greatest challenge yet. Mason writes, In the last election, BC's NDP campaigned on the wide-eyed notion of reconciliation, that governments could no longer just ram decisions down the throats of First Nations and their people. Many are now watching to see how the government handles this conflict. How this plays out could leave a lasting imprint on John Horgan and his government. In the Montreal Gazette, Clifford Lincoln argues Canadians should not assume we are immune from excesses of power. Lincoln writes, We should look at the U.S. as a lesson that democracy and democratic governance are never a given. We could not have imagined a mere three years ago how drastically democratic ideals in the world's leading democracy would have become not only challenged but seriously weakened. We need to remain vigilant to ensure that the uncontrolled might of autocratic politics does not erode our democratic values in the ongoing quest for the common good. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Blockades and demonstrations continue across the country today in support of B.C. Indigenous groups opposed to the Coastal Gas Pipeline project. As CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, politicians, protesters and police forces are all in the spotlight as the clock ticks towards some type of resolution or confrontation. Mark, British Columbia Premier John Horgan told reporters on Wednesday that he was expecting to talk to Prime Minister Trudeau today about the situation in northern BC. The protests continue in the territory of the Wet'suwet'en as well as in Vancouver. And also there have been repeated rumors over the past 36 hours that the Ontario Provincial Police may be ready to intervene to enforce an injunction and break up the blockade of CN and Via Rail's busiest corridor between Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa. That blockade has been causing not just passenger rail disruptions, but concrete economic impact on deliveries and freight transport throughout central Canada. There are also the other multiple other blockades and demonstrations of support of the Wet'suwet'en, which are going on and have sprung up across the country, especially in front of legislatures and in provincial capitals in Ottawa. Now, while the Prime Minister says he is hoping for cooler heads to prevail and for discussion to lead to a peaceful resolution, others are calling for quick and immediate police crackdown to end the economic impacts and the inconveniences. The problem is, so far, there doesn't seem to be any tangible or concrete movement on either side, from the politicians and legislators, or from the Indigenous groups and demonstrators. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend an event with female peacekeepers in Dakar, Senegal, before taking part in a question-and-answer session. He'll then depart for Munich, Germany. 
Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibot will be in Winnipeg to make an announcement in support of pork producers. Labour Minister Philomena Tassi will make an announcement in Windsor, Ontario. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will tour Highbury Canco Corporation's newly expanded facility in Leamington, Ontario, followed by an announcement in Sarnia. In Laxal, Ontario, Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will attend the grand opening of a new water treatment plant. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will meet students at Crichton Park Elementary in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And Green Party Parliamentary Leader Elizabeth May will host a town hall meeting in Saturna, British Columbia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, February the 13th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.